Welcome to Four Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here with Jason Miller, a professor at the great Michigan State University. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Now, you focus specifically on logistics, but you have a lot of insights and I would argue passion towards the trucking uh, industry specifically and uh, market trends. Yes, I do. That's kind of my current area of research right now. I started off in the safety space and have kind of broadened out into the market dynamics space, let's say. Now you track a lot of uh, variables in the market, a lot of indexes. Any, any go-to favorites that you, you tend to look at to understand what's happening? Yeah, so I think um, it depends on what I'm looking at. If I'm looking for real-time information, you know, one or two days old, I go into Sonar. That's the best source for what economists like to call high-frequency data that there is. Um, when I'm looking at more sort of monthly indices, I try to use combinations, um, pull data from Sonar. Bureau of Labor Statistics has a producer price index for the trucking sector that is collected every month that um, behaves very well. CAS for both uh, truckload um, and uh, CAS for shipments, ATA's truckload tonnage. So I try to track, um, you know, six or seven major indices um, within the sector. Now you have been on the, I will argue, more on the bearish side. If I've been on the bullish side and I I'm unashamed that I've called for a V-shaped recovery. Um, I, I would argue Sonar suggesting that some of that's correct. You have argued that uh, things were going to be much more bearish. Uh, what, where do you stand today in terms of what your outlook is on the market? So right now where I'm at is um, I would say on the retail side, I'm neutral to somewhat bullish in the near term, but that's consumer retail. For industrials, I'm still in the bearish side of things. Um, and so where I look at it from a carrier standpoint, it really is coming down to what type of freight are you hauling? If you're you know, flatbed out in the Permian Basin in West Texas, it's not a good time right now. But if you're hauling a lot for Home Depot and Kroger, then you know it seems to be pretty smooth sailing at the moment. Now, the industrial sector, as you mentioned uh, and alluded to, is, is, very, is tied to oil and energy, certainly impacting flatbed haulers. It's also had a significant impact on railroad volumes. I'm curious, how do you think about the rail market right now, the strength of it, and the intersection of intermodal? So right now, railroad, um, I would say I'm concerned about from a secular trend standpoint, um, big one being declining coal volumes. We've seen that going on over the past you know, several years as we are switching more and more to natural gas. And coal really was the bread and butter where the railroads were making a lot of their profit. Um, from the, and I'd say, industrial side as well, oil and gas, you've got a lot of movement there that's affecting um, rail, so that's not helping. One of the sort of side effects of that is the switch in fracking sand. I mean, about a decade ago, most of the fracking sand was coming from uh, Missouri and Wisconsin. It was being trained into the Bakken and down to the Permian. Um, obviously, that was very expensive, so the oil companies have switched over to more locally sourced fracking sand. Um, so you've seen rail get affected that way. 
With intermodal, I mean, we just saw the CAS index for intermodal price just plunged um, in May. It was down something like 17% year over year. Um, so I think that from a standpoint right now for the railroads, getting intermodal, intermodal volumes is going to require them to substantially cut prices from where they were a year ago, given that there seems to be a good amount of capacity in the truckload sector, and we've seen contract rates and trucking drop, and spot rates are where the, I'd say they reasonably should be for June. So, Jason, you think contract rates are going to go down, as you just mentioned, but it strikes me that shippers would be smart to actually lock in higher contract rates considering the strength of the market that we've seen uh, over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, so that's that's a great question, and I think there's a couple parts to the answer. So first, we've got a good sense from CAS and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The contract prices have fallen back to where they were somewhere around November of 2017. So that's prior to all the big increases we saw in 2018 due to the very hot spot market in the latter half of 2017 and early half of 2018. So we've we've essentially seen all the gains erased set over this last shipping cycle. Um, with the question of why are shippers being so aggressive to lock in the low rates, I think that there's a lot of pressure on many of them to claw back some money, given how brutal of a year 2018 was. And right now, given everybody's budgets are not looking good with the additional costs from COVID, I think any way to shave some money is being supported. I think the risk that um, we run into is going to be, if we do see the very robust recovery, we have seen about 6% of capacity leave the industry based on the Bureau of Labor Statistics employment data for the trucking sector. So we start running a risk that if that demand starts increasing much more rapidly than supply can catch up, you're going to start seeing a lot of routing guide failure, and that's going to put pressure on those contract prices upwards. Yeah, I mean, CAS's data is great. It's a great barometer of a lot, particularly the industrial sector. They certainly have a great perspective on what's happening. But the data does tend to lag. It's based on billing uh, 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 billing uh, of shipments. So it sort of has a lag in there. We, we haven't yet got the June data uh, to see how it's transacting. Um, I still adhere to the fact that the economy's stronger than what uh, the government uh, data would suggest or uh, CAS's data. Um, do you buy that? Or do you think that fundamentally the market is just softer than, than what I would, would argue. So I, I'm of the belief right now that we have a lot of artificial stimulus on the consumer side um, in the form of the $1,200 checks most um, adult Americans received, as well as um, in the form of expanded unemployment benefits that are going to be expiring soon. And so I, I'm a little, my concern is I'm not seeing the employment data, um, especially the weekly data is still showing a very high number of folks who are unemployed. And so my concern from a structural standpoint is what happens come August if we're not starting to see a lot more folks coming back into the payrolls? Do we start to see that consumer engine die down and then that's going to have an effect on all the other sectors with regard to pulling through demand. Um, 
I'm very skeptical right now of giving much weight on these month-over-month comparisons that we're seeing right now because everything we're seeing is the worst month ever and then to the best month ever. And so, for example, if you looked at retail sales for May, they were still 1% below retail sales from May of 2019, and that's excluding food service. And so that's where I start looking and saying, I have a little bit more of a concern from a structural standpoint with where the economy's at. But isn't that I mean, an argument that part of the spending differential is really twofold? One is certain categories are not being spent. You meant food services sort of taken out of it. But we, we have other categories like gasoline. People aren't driving as many miles. I'm driving one third of the miles today that I was before. I'm still employed. Um, but my uh, the gasoline that I'm buying is a couple hundred dollars a month cheaper just because not the price of gasoline, but the amount that I'm yep. actually putting into my tank is much cheaper, which is impacting a little bit of my credit card spending. Um, but that also reverberates when you talk about corporate travel, corporate expenses. A lot of those dollars, whether they're on the consumer credit cards and flow through the consumer uh, side of the, the wallet, they still it's still affected by these sort of fundamental shifts in how society works. You, you don't think all, some of those answers are in that, or do you think it's more broader softness in the, in the overall economy? My my view is that broader softness. Um, I when looking at just the employment data, especially, I'm not a big fan of the U3 headline unemployment measure. Um, I'm much more a fan of the U6 measure, which is broader, and that was still in the 20% range um, from last month. And I think the thing we have to remember is, especially the employment data, was for one of the first times ever. Bureau of Labor Statistics had a major systematic measurement error in there and that a lot of people were counted as employed even though they were actually furloughed. And so for me, from my standpoint, is if we don't start seeing that unemployment number start to tick down very rapidly, once the stimulus has started to be burnt through, I have a hard time seeing where that retail demand side comes in. And so what I'm worried about is essentially is the recovery is going to be softened because we're going to start having that, you know, slumping demand side. But as it relates to right now, things are, are bullish or softer or what, where, where are you at in the, you said retail uh, consumer volumes are, are stronger uh, than average industrial. Your, your sentiment is that the industrial market is much softer than perhaps the headline or perhaps uh, I would like to believe. Yeah, so my, my general view of the industrial is just looking at um, where we're at for backlogs, where we're at for new orders. It's um, We don't have the June data yet. Um, it looks like the uh, initial um, regional Federal Reserve manufacturing surveys are coming in, and they're starting to show essentially neutrality. I haven't had a chance to really look at the data yet, so that is a positive. Um, but just, too, with the fact of we're seeing this is a true global recession taking place right now. And I worry with what is this going to do for capital investment? What's it going to do for making companies want to actually hire back a large number of workers? And so I guess my thing is, is there's so much uncertainty, and we know very well from a lot of economics research that uncertainty spikes eventually turn into the same thing as a demand shock, right? Uncertainty goes up. 
it eventually leads to a fall in demand because there's less industrial production, there's less employment. And so I guess for me, from my standpoint, is there's so much uncertainty, I'm not sure how aggressive a lot of firms, especially smaller firms, are going to be coming out of this. But there is a factor that in many ways is unprecedented, is the, is the government. We, you know, we have monetary and fiscal stimulus at levels we've never seen. And it's not just in the United States, it's a global element. It seems like every single week you're hearing about a trillion dollar plus bill that's being talked about uh, in Congress. This is completely unprecedented. Don't you think that liquidity starts to show up in the broader economy and, and stimulate demand at some point? Oh, absolutely. And this, this again, is the unknown, is we, we have never seen the Federal Reserve and Congress be this aggressive trying to stave off, um, you know, an economic downturn. The concern I have more long-term structurally is we are taking on an incredible amount of additional national debt in dealing with this. And at some point in time, we're going to have to start paying, you know, paying the piper with that. And so I Part of my concern is, again, longer term, is we're setting ourselves up for a situation of, as an example, how is the Federal Reserve going to back itself away from the extensive bond buying programs? I mean, it started with, we're going to buy ETFs, now it's we're going to buy initial, you know, bonds. How do you back down from that? That is not going to be easy to do. And so I'm more just long-term, just structurally worried about some of the things we're getting ourselves into. You know, the, the MMT crowd uh, will argue the modern monetary theory, folks, is that the Federal Reserve can effectively, the government can effectively print uh, as much money as it wants. And as long as it's not driving inflation, then they don't have to be held accountable to that. Effectively, you can keep printing dollars. I take it you're not a believer in MMT. No, I, I am. I am not. I do not buy this argument that we can perpetually run deficits. That's just maybe it's me coming up, being you know brought up in small town Ohio, but that's just not the way I you know think about things. And so, my my view on inflation is the fact it has been so restrained as. We have different channels through which we can keep that restraint. There's always the threat of, well, if prices get too expensive in the United States, we can offshore production. That threat wasn't there really in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Um, and then the other thing is, is oil prices are under control. I mean, that always in the 70s, the inflation crisis was due to the 73, 74 oil shock and then the 79 oil shock. Now, with essentially the glut of oil supply we have, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, and of course, there, there are folks that will counter-argue uh, on the inflation side that housing, health care, and education have seen massive levels of inflation. Uh, and that, for folks that are, don't have a, a lot of disposable income, is that actually creates a real economic strain on their, their pockets. Speaking of education, you're a, a professor at a university. What is the plan for Michigan State uh, in terms of returning back to school? So what we're doing at Michigan State, so it was just announced, is we will be bringing students back onto campus. Um, we will be adhering to strict social distancing um, within the classroom. 
We've got some different strategies for different modalities that classes will be um, delivered by this coming uh, fall. As far as I know, there have been no plans made for the um, spring, but we're going to do whatever we can to make sure students are on campus because we just believe that that is where you get a much better educational experience. Now, you think we'll have a college football uh, season or is that is that on hold? Uh, I, I don't, that, that, that's one that's way beyond my pay grade. Um, <laughs> I, I do not know. Um, I know that I've heard of the news report. There's been discussions of having the games played with a small, far smaller number of folks in the stands. Um, I, but I'm not really sure what will be done on that front. So which one are you more bullish on, the freight market and contract prices and spot prices going up, firmness in the freight market, or a college football season? Um, I would actually say firmness of the freight market. Okay, so that's you heard it here, so we're on record. I do need one thing from you. I'd like for you to make a bold call. Next five years, big prediction that we haven't talked about here today of what you think is going to happen over the next couple of years. Bold bold prediction. I think we will finally see the trucking sector especially move away from this annual game of procurement auctions where we set one price and that's the price for a year. I think we'll start doing what folks in a lot of other industries do and we're going to start indexing those contract prices. So I think that we're going to try to find ways of getting around that routing guide failure issue by baking in escalators and de-escalators into contract prices. I'm a huge fan of that. I, I think I agree with you that fundamental markets, markets as large as trucking and, and, and many smaller, frankly, use some type of index reference price. So we'll see if that, hope that it happens, Jason. I, I would love to see the market uh, eliminate a lot of the back and forth negotiation which really doesn't add value to anyone's uh, business except the folks that are in the middle of that. So hopefully we'll see that. Um, what's your take on digitization in the space? Do you think it's going to drive that uh, index variance uh, and index reference? So that, that is a very good question. I think the biggest challenge we will have is how do we develop indexes that are applicable to different sectors of the industry? And so... To the extent that digitization allows for the data clarity and the granularity that we need to do that, um, I think that that would be a would certainly help it. Um, I'm always, you know, it's it's funny. I'm one of the youngest professors in the College of Business, but I'm also one of the least that's rah rah into technology from a standpoint of. My view is for a lot of small companies, um, the technology piece really isn't that essential. If you're a small trucking company with four or five trucks, you don't need the, you know, you don't need the most complicated transportation management system to figure out how to route your trucks, right? You can do this on a much more informal basis. It's the same way small grocery stores still don't use barcodes. It doesn't make sense for them. So I think that the challenge we're going to have with digitization is making the case for the smaller company that it's really needed. And I'm not, I'm not sure that case is there yet for the very small companies that make up the lion's share of unique DOT numbers. 
and they can always source that a lot of that technology. The great thing about the cloud is it it's the great to, uh, you know you know it, it levels the playing field for both the haves and have-nots. It gives them access to it. It's quite easy to adopt. You make an interesting point. Um, we've you know in oil markets and uh, corn markets and agricultural markets. Uh, they actually get down to very granular elements in their index prices. And I suspect that if we see uh, a, a, a real movement toward index variation, index-linked contracts, that the freight market will also evolve in those directions. I'm, I'm pretty confident. It's been a fundamental belief of mine since we started Freightways that that's where the market would eventually end up. Uh, it certainly has a, a ways to go to get there. Yeah, no, it, it it does. I'm going to be curious to see again where things go the next, you know, five, five six years in that regard. Jason, appreciate your time here. Uh, best of luck as uh, you make through the dog days of summer and resumption of uh, normal university activities. Um, uh, really best of luck as we, we go back and, and really appreciate your view. We'll see whether it's a bull or bear market heading into the fourth quarter. We're going to continue to bring you content, not only here at the 3PL Virtual Summit, but every single month we have one to two conferences where we're going to dive into these deep topics around freight transportation. So be sure to tune into Freightways live at home on Freightways TV for further conferences.